The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. here and God has already spoken to you and you're just ready to get saved right now if there's anybody here boy girl man woman if there's anybody here and you're ready to get saved right now would you just stand up and come forward right now anybody in the house brother Bob I'm ready right now just come on Anybody? All right. I just, I just kind of felt like I ought to do that. And there's been enough gospel here tonight to save the world. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> well, I told you Sunday morning that Wednesday nights come by mighty fast. And uh, this has been a wonderful time for me. I have enjoyed being here. This is not my first time here and hopefully it won't be my last I think one question you need to ask your prospective pastor is will you let Bob Pittman come and lead a revival <clears throat> now you know I'm just kidding but uh, that would sure be a blessing to me but anyway I have enjoyed it uh, Brother Mike and Miss Mary, I love you more than I could ever say. I've known you uh, all of my adult life and some of my teenage life. And uh, my wife loves you. And uh, I, we just thank God for you. And I, I, I hope that the days that are ahead are the best days that you and Mary have ever had. I really do. Dr. Carter, you're a hero to me. Uh, I mean that with all genuineness. You are a hero to me. When I was a teenage boy, he came to our church in Florence and led a revival meeting, and I was just captivated by his ability to take the Word of God and open it up and explain it and make it come alive. And, and I've always been, anytime I've had the opportunity, I've wanted to hear him preach, and I've gone to hear him preach in a lot of places. And you're so blessed to have him Amen. as your interim pastor. And I promise you, you will be, uh, you'll be strengthened and encouraged and blessed by the word as he proclaims it until such time as God gives you a pastor. And God is going to give you a pastor. Just remember some things. He's going to be a man. He's not going to be a God. He's not going to be like Dr. Carter, perhaps. He's not going to be like Mike Shaw, perhaps. But he'll be God's man. And you love him. You just give him time to know you and, and meet you and, and, and just, just love on him. And if, I don't think that'll be hard for this church to do. And he'll feel right at home real soon because I know you're going to love him into your hearts. But I want you to know there's one evangelist, at least one, that'll be praying for you in these days as you seek God's man, and I promise you that I will. You have a wonderful evangelist in your church, Brother Benny Jackson and his wife Shirley. 
I was their pastor for 20 years at Kirby Woods in Memphis. Shirley taught a Sunday school class, hardly ever missed a single Sunday in those 20 years I was there. Benny was the worst member we had. <laughs> he was never there. But he was out preaching and sharing the gospel and winning people to Christ. And his wife and his tithe were always there. But Brother Benny has, is this year celebrating 40 years in full-time evangelism. And I tell you, that's a real milestone in, in this work. But anyway, God has given you some wonderful people. And, and thank you so very much, Dr. Mike, for inviting me to come back there a couple of years ago, I think. And, and uh, I hope that we can do it again. Now, I'll be at the back at the end of the service at the book table, but now listen to me, and I mean this with all sincerity. You do not have to buy a book to come by and shake my hand, all right? I mean that. Well, I don't care if you buy a book or not, but, it, but feel free to come by and shake my hand, and we'll just let that satisfy us till we are together again. If you want to know where I'll be for the rest of the year, you can get on the internet and pull up Bob Pittman Ministries, and that's one T in Pittman. All two T Pittmans are rich and snooty. But uh, I'm teasing now, but Bob Pittman Ministries, one T, and my website will come up and just tap schedule, and you'll see where I'll be for the rest of the year, and in December I'll put next year's schedule up. It's already full, but thank you so much for your faithfulness. You know, no one could be more satisfied than your church leaders that you've been so faithful, and, and I commend you for it. Well, take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> For the last three nights, I've tried to bring messages that will strengthen and encourage the heart of the people of God. Every message at night has been designed to, to let God speak to you and deal with you about any and every issue that might keep you from being all that God wants you to be. And I believe every night we've seen a number of people here at the altar drawing closer to the Lord. And I tonight want to close the meeting sharing with you probably a very, very familiar subject, but sometimes the same old song out of a new horn will make the difference. So I want to share with you from Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their work. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
The God of the Bible is a God of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness. But the God of the Bible is also a God of holiness and righteousness and wrath and judgment. It is wrong to preach the judgment of God at the expense of the love of God. But it is also wrong to preach the love of God at the expense of the judgment of God. I doing something wrong? No, All right. <laughs> well, I tell you, you'll turn this off. I'll get one of these hands. I shot me. The God of the Bible, as I have said, is both a God of love and a God of judgment. As you read the closing chapters of the New Testament, you find that there are several judgments listed that are yet to come. But the one that I have read to you about tonight, the great white throne judgment, is unquestionably the granddaddy of all judgments. It is the ultimate judgment of God. And I want to share with you from these verses, I hope you'll keep your Bibles open, I want to share with you from these verses three simple little truths about the great white throne judgment. First of all, I want us to think about the one who sits upon the throne. Who is the judge at the great white throne judgment? Well, the Bible does not leave us without any clues. Look there with me, if you will, in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and here's the first clue, and him that sat on it. And him that sat on it. The one who sits upon this throne is masculine in gender. It does not say I saw her, it says, and I saw him that sat on it. The judge is masculine in gender. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means it will not be your mother. Okay? My mother absolutely loved me. I was an only child. But my mother would have clawed your eyes out if you would have done anything to me when I was a boy. I'm just telling you, that's the kind of mama that I had. She would have waded into you like a whirlwind. I mean, she would have come after you if you had done anything to harm her precious little boy. If my mother were the one who sat upon the great white throne judgment, I would never have had to be saved. I'm just being honest. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins and surely that must have had at least in mind partially the love of a mother. 
In my mother's eyes, I could do no wrong. In my mother's eyes, I was a perfect boy. And I'm telling you, if my mother were sitting on the great white throne judgment, I would never have had to be saved. She would have said, why, son, just come right on in. But my mother is not the judge. And your mother is not the judge. The Bible says he is masculine in gender. But let's read on in verse 11. There's another clue. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. And here's the second clue. From whose face the heaven and the earth fled away. Not only is he masculine in gender, he has a terrifying face. The one who sits upon this throne has a terrifying face. My dad was a soldier. Most of my life, my dad, as long as he was alive, was a soldier. He finished his military career in the Alabama National Guard full time. He was a first sergeant and his office was at the National Guard Armory in Florence, Alabama. Well, when I was a boy growing up, every Friday night at the National Guard Armory in Florence, Alabama, they had real live professional wrestling. Now, some people call it wrestling, but that displays a lot of ignorance on your part. I'm telling you, it was wrestling. And it wasn't like the stuff you see on television today. When I was a boy, it was real stuff. I grew up in the days of Tojo Yamamoto and Jackie Fargo and Lynn Rossi. And I'm telling you, those guys were something else. And every Friday night, my dad would have to go because he sold the tickets to the ringside seats. So I got to sit up real close every Friday night and watch all all those professional wrestlers. I enjoyed it too. Every Friday night, there was a man who would come. He had cerebral palsy, but he also had hanging off the side of his face a big red blood-filled sack, a hermangioma of some kind. And it was so big and so heavy, he could not hold his head up. He had to lay it down on his shoulder. And so he came every Friday night walking with that cerebral palsy swagger, but he also came with that head on his shoulder in that big, massive red sack hanging off of his face. Absolutely terrified me. My dad said, now son, you don't have to be afraid of him. Well, I've known him all my life. People who know him like him. He's a good man. He's a, he wouldn't do anything to harm anybody. He's kind. But all the words of my daddy never satisfied me because as a little boy, every time I saw him, I was terrified because he had what looked to me like a terrifying face. There's a third clue mentioned here in verse 12. The Bible says, and I saw the dead small and great. And here's the third clue, stand before God. He is masculine in gender. He has a terrifying face and he is identified as God. But you need to understand it is not God the Father who sits upon this throne. 
And it is not God the Holy Spirit who sits upon this throne. It is God the Son. It is Jesus Christ himself who sits upon the great white throne. You say, now, Brother Bob, I know that Jesus is God. That's the very heart of our Christian profession. We declare without any hesitancy, without any shame, and we declare boldly that Jesus Christ is God. That's the heart of Christianity. We don't have any problems with that. So Brother Bob, I know that Jesus is God. And Brother Bob, I know that Jesus is masculine in gender. I know that he was a man. But what about that terrifying face? Brother Bob, when I read the gospels, I don't find that anybody ever ran away from him because of his face. Now, Jesus was not a handsome man. Isaiah, writing in prophecy about him, said there's no beauty about him that we would desire him. So Jesus was not necessarily a handsome man, but at the same time, he did not have a frightening face. Even women were comfortable looking upon his face. Even little boys and girls were at ease looking upon the face of Jesus. And so what about that, Brother Bob? What about that terrifying face? Well, the answer is very simple. He will not look then as he looked when he walked the earth. Brother Bob, how do you know that? Well, I know it because of Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, John the apostle had been exiled out on the Isle of Patmos. Now, John was probably a teenage boy when he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Most New Testament scholars believe that John was the youngest of the 12 and, and very likely a 17, 16-year-old boy when he became a disciple of the Lord. But when you come to Revelation chapter 1, he's no longer a 16 or 17-year-old boy. He's probably very close to 100 years old. And here's this old man who has all of the characteristics of an old, old man. But all through those years, he never stopped preaching about Jesus Christ. He never stopped proclaiming the gospel. And finally, people just got tired of it. And the, and the authorities said, John, nobody wants to hear that anymore. Jesus has been gone a long time. He's not healing any sick people today. He's not mending any blind eyes today. He's not walking on any water today. And John, to be honest with you, we don't want to hear about him anymore. And if you don't stop preaching, we're going to take you as an old, old man and put you out there on the island of Patmos all by yourself and nobody will have to see you. Nobody will have to listen to you. And, and John didn't stop preaching. He just kept right on preaching. And the Roman government did exactly what they said they were going to do. They took him, put him out there on the island, said, just preach all you want to, the fish, your birds. But nobody's going to be here to listen to you. We're done with that. And so here's this old man, old man, out on the island of Patmos all by himself. And the Revelation chapter one, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's a good way to be on the Lord's day. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he said, I heard behind me a voice. It was a penetrating voice, like a sharp blast of a trumpet. And the voice said, I'm alpha and omega. I'm the first and the last. John knew who that was. 
I know who that was. You know who that was. That's Jesus. He's the first, the last, beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega. He is the one who was speaking to John in that loud voice. And so the Bible says, John said, I turned to see the voice. Now that's interesting uh, way of putting it. But he said, I turned to see the voice. And he got a quick glimpse of the one standing there. And he said, it was likened to the son of man. John knew who the son of man was. I know who the son of man was. You know who the son of man is. The son of man is Jesus. In the New Testament, Jesus is called master, savior, Lord, redeemer, son of God. But the title that Jesus used more than any other to describe himself was the title son of man. And so John said, I knew he was the alpha, the omega. I turned, got a quick glimpse, and it was one unlikened to the son of man but then he said I looked at his face I knew who he was because of what he said I knew who he was by his general expression but when I looked in his face he said his hair was white like wool his eyes were as pools of fire and proceeding out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword and John said I fell at his feet as dead you know what that means it means he fainted he fainted he knew it was Jesus but he'd never seen Jesus look like that before and when he saw the face that terrifying face he fainted right in the presence of the Lord. And so I tell you, the one who sits upon this throne is Jesus. Not that sweet little Jesus boy that we think about at Christmas. Not that meek and lowly Jesus who went about healing the sick and calming the storm. But Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty ultimate judge. He is the one who sits upon this throne. Second thing I want us to think about tonight, not only the one who sits upon this throne, but who are the ones who stand before this throne? Who are these people standing before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment? Who are they? Again, we're not left without clues. Look there with me, if you will, in verse 12. He says, and I saw the dead. There in the very middle of verse 12, and the dead were judged. In verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Four times, four times in these two verses, these ones who stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment are identified as the dead. Now, it's not talking about those who've just experienced physical death. It's talking about those who were spiritually dead. All of the Old Testament age, all of the New Testament age, and everyone since then who never came to spiritual life, they never knew God, they never repented of sin, they were never saved by God's grace, all of them were dead spiritually. They may have been able to see with their eyes and hear with their ears and speak with their mouth, but they're all spiritually dead. And so here are all the dead ones, all the unsaved of all history standing before him. But we have another clue. There in verse 12, I saw the dead small and great. Small 
and great. Now, what does that mean? That expression, small and great, was used three different ways, at least three, in the day of the New Testament. First of all, it was used to speak of age. Small would be those who were very young. Great would be those who were very old. Throughout all of these who stand before Jesus at this coming day of judgment, some of them are very young, some of them are very old. It has sort of crept into our mindset that all children when they die automatically go to heaven and all real old people when they die automatically go to heaven. But folks, it's just not true. Sometimes boys and girls can come into services and the Holy Spirit of God will reveal to them that they're sinners and will reveal to them that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save them. But if a boy or a girl rejects Christ, they may have another opportunity. They may reject him again. They may have another opportunity. But if a boy or a girl dies, having been under conviction, having been uh, told by the Spirit of God that Jesus would save those boys and girls, when they die do not go to heaven. And old people, you go into nursing homes today and, and uh, they're kind of depressing places to me, but you go into nursing homes and you'll find some real old people. Some of them, their mind is gone. Some of them just sit there in a wheelchair all day long, never even raise their head. Some of them have been there and it's been years since any family member ever came to see them. And they're, they're kind, they're sweet, they're loving, and, and yet... A lot of those old people in the nursing home, they had opportunities to be saved somewhere along the way. And they said, no, not now, not now. I may get saved someday, but not this time. And so there are some real old people who waited too late and they sinned away the day of grace. And so John said, as I looked at all of those dead ones, all of the lost of all humanity, some were very young, some were very old. A second way that expression, small and great, was used was not only to speak of age, but to speak of financial ability. The small would be those who had no financial ability at all. They would be the poorest of the poor. They had nothing. They lived in shanty slums. Some of them were beggars on the streets. Some of them slept out in the open air at night because they had no kind of shelter in which to retreat. And then some will be the richest of the rich. They have everything. Everything they ever touched seemed to turn to gold. They had palaces. They had private airplanes. They had all kinds of business enterprises. They were the great ones financially. And so John says, as I looked at all of those dead ones who stand before Jesus, some of them were very, very poor, and some of them were very, very rich, and all the rest were somewhere in between. But then there was a third way that words, those words small and great were used, not only to refer to age and to refer to financial ability, but it was also used to speak of someone's power or authority or influence. 
The small would be those who had no influence at all. They were the nobodies. Nobody paid any attention to them. Nobody ever listened to them. Nobody ever cared what they thought because their opinions just didn't mean very much. They were the folks that were always overlooked. They were always excluded. They were absolutely nobodies in this world. But the great would be those who were the big shot somebodies. I mean, every time they opened their mouth, millions of people listened. Some of them were kings. Some of them were emperors. Some of them were presidents of the United States. Great power, great authority, great influence. And yet they died spiritually dead. And so John says, as I saw all this great throng, all the unsaved of all history, some were very young, some were very old, some were very poor, some were very wealthy, some were nobodies, and some were somebodies, and all the rest in between. One last thing, and we'll be through. Not only the one who sits upon the throne and those who stand before the throne but I want you to see the procedure that takes place from the throne. Now look in verse 12. The Bible says, and I saw the dead small and great stand before God, and now look at this, and the books, B-O-O-K-S, plural, the books were opened. And another book, B-O-O-K-S, singular one book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to the things written in those books according to their works now you think about that just a minute here is Jesus sitting upon this great white throne standing before him are the unsaved of all history from the very beginning at creation all the way through the end of what we call time. Every unsaved person stands there before him. On one side of Jesus, there is a set of books. I don't know how many. Maybe 200, maybe 2 million, maybe 2 billion. I have no idea. But there's a set of books, plural. These books are books of record. These books contain the names of every person ever born and everything they ever did, every place they ever went, every word they ever spoke, even every thought that ever went through their mind. It's all recorded in those books. On the other side of Jesus, there's just one book. It is the book of life. It contains the names of every saved person of all the ages. And here's the best thing I know to tell you tonight. When you got saved, when you got saved, your name was removed from those books over there. All that old past, all that sin, it's gone. You ask me why I'm happy. I will tell you why. Because my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary. When you got saved, your name was taken away from that set 
and your name has been recorded in the book of life. Your name is there. Your name is there. If you're a saved person, your name's in that book. Those two little girls that we saw come to Christ and get baptized, their name is in that book tonight. Thank God for that. And so here comes a man. And he stands before the Lord. And Jesus says, name. Frank Simpson. And Jesus pulls a book off of these shelves of books. And he begins to go through that book. Yes, Mr. Simpson. I find your name here in this book, Lord. Do you really mean it? Do you mean my name is in the books up here? Yes, sir, it's right here. Lord, that's a relief to my mind. I wasn't real sure, but if you say it so, I'll believe it. I'll just come on into heaven. No, 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 Mr. Simpson. You see, Mr. Simpson, your name in these books doesn't mean you get to go to heaven. These are books of record. These, these books have your name and everything you did while you were alive. Every work, every, every thought, every deed. It's all written here. Everything, Lord, everything's right here. Well, Lord, I guess you know. I mean, if it's all there, I guess you know there was a time I, I was unfaithful to my wife. Yeah, yeah, it's here. And Lord, I guess you know there was a time I cheated on my income tax. Yeah, it's, it's here. And Lord, I guess you know I cussed a little. Mr. Simpson, you cussed a lot. It's all there. It's all right here. Now, Lord, you know, I, I, obviously I did a lot of bad things. But Lord, I think I did some good things too. Mr. Simpson, you did. You know, Lord, when my neighbor got hurt in that automobile accident, I, and he couldn't work for about six months, Lord, you know I made his house payment for those six months? Do you know I carried his children to school? Do you know that I bought groceries and put food on his table? Lord, I tried to be a real good neighbor when my neighbor was, was down. Mr. Simpson, you were a, you were a real good neighbor. And Lord, you know, I spent a lot of time with my boys. I wasn't one of those dads that just neglected my boys. Lord, I, my boys, they were my buddies. I, I taught them how to hunt. I taught them how to fish. We went to ball games together. And, and Lord, I tried to be a, a real dad to my boys. Mr. Simpson, you, you spent a lot of time with your boys, did a lot of things with them. And he said, Lord, you know, I did go to church sometime. Lord, I even went on August the 6th in 2014 to that revival meeting on the night they took up the offering. And I heard that preacher, as a matter of fact, he is talking about this very thing. But Lord, I didn't go to church some. You know, you know Lord, now I know I've done some bad things, but I've done some good things. That's, that's right. Now, Lord... You know, I've always heard. Lord, I've always heard that up here you've got this big set of scales. 
And you're going to put all the bad things I did on one side of the scales and all the good things I've done on the other side of the scales. And, and, and Lord, I, uh, I really believe I, I did more good than I did bad, but I'm not real sure. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, you did. You did more good than you did bad. Really? I tell you, Lord, I never did measure it out, but I wasn't real sure. But if you say so, I'll come on in. No, 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 no. You don't come into heaven because you've done more good than you've done bad. Now, wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute, Lord. I've always heard people always told me about this big set of scales. You put the good on one side and the bad on the other. And if the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. And if the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. And you've already said it did more good than it did bad. Mr. Simpson. Do you see any scales up here? Well, Lord, I thought maybe you had them hid out behind those books over there. I know. No, there's not any scales up here, Mr. Simpson. You see, Mr. Simpson, the only people that come to heaven are those who have their name in this book. This is my book. It has the names of everybody that ever got saved. And Mr. Simpson, your name is not in this book. But Lord, my name is up. Mr. Simpson, your name is not in this book. But Lord, I did more good than I did bad. Mr. Simpson, your name is not in this book. And the Bible said, I read it to you, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so the most important question that I could possibly close the revival meeting with is simply this. Is your name in that book? Well, Brother Bob, I, I sure hope it is. No, no, no. That's not good enough. Well, Brother Bob, I think it is. No, that's not. Is your name in this book? Now, I want, to, I want you to listen to me very carefully. If your name is in that book, you know it's in that book. I mean, God didn't save you while you weren't looking. You were there when it happened. If your name's in that book, you know it's in that book. And if your name's not in that book, you know that too. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? We come to the last invitation, the last service. I've done my very best to strengthen and bless and encourage you in these last three nights, but as one who has been called to be an evangelist, I do have to give some services at least to give you an opportunity to be saved. While our heads are bowed and nobody's looking, please be just, as, be just as quiet as you can be in these moments. How many of you could raise your hand and say, Brother Bob, 
I know for sure, I know beyond any doubt, my name is written in the book of life. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? Thank you and God bless you. And I believe you. You may put your hands down. There were a number of hands that were raised. There were also a number of hands that were not raised. Those of you that did not raise your hands, I do not know your name. I don't know where you live. I don't know where you go to school or where you work. But if you did not raise your hand, there's one thing I think I know about you. I think you wish you could have raised your hand. I think deep down you say, yes, I wish I could have raised my hand. I wish I could have said, I know for sure my name's in that book. Well, tonight, you can settle that once and for all. You see, no matter what you may have done in the past, if you cannot say, I know for sure my name is in that book, then whatever you did in the past is not bringing you assurance and satisfaction tonight. Maybe you came forward before. Maybe you got in the baptistry before. Maybe you joined the church before. And I promise you, I'm not here trying to get anyone to doubt their salvation. Those of you that raised your hand, I could not make you doubt it anyway. But those of you who did not raise your hand, why don't you settle it tonight? This has been such a wonderful week. I'm telling you, God's been here. And I go some places of revival, and I don't know if God ever even shows up or not. But I believe God's been here. And on this last night, if you did not raise your hand, why don't you settle it with God? Why don't you pray something like this? And you don't have to pray out loud. God hears the meditation of your heart. And it's always acceptable in his sight. Why don't you pray something like this from your heart to God's heart? Dear God, I did not raise my hand because I don't know that my name is in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, I, I try to live right. I, I, I even come to church. And, but Lord, I just don't know that my name is in that book. And I don't want to live another night like this. Dear God, as best I know how, tonight I turn away from sin. I don't want to go on living like I'm living. Dear God, would you forgive me of all my sin? Please, right now. I admit that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of all of it. Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you were buried in a tomb like the Bible says. I believe you rose from the dead and that you're alive right now. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart right now, right now, and save me. Lord, save me right now.
All that I am, I give to you. Now our heads are bowed. Nobody's looking. I've been with you enough times now. You know I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to walk back there to where you are. I'm not going to ask anybody else to come back where you are. But right there where you are, if you did not raise your hand a moment ago, maybe you're a young person, maybe you're a senior adult, maybe you're a young adult or somewhere in between, maybe a little boy, a little girl, but you did not raise your hand a moment ago and God spoke to your heart. And you'd say, Brother Bob, as you led me in that prayer, I did pray. I did ask God to forgive me of my sin and I did ask Jesus to come into my heart and save me. Brother Bob, I did it and I meant it. Nobody's looking. Would you just raise your hand? Just put it right up. Brother Bob, tonight I prayed and I asked Jesus, come, just keep it up just for a minute. Nobody's looking. All right, all right. Anyone else? Just put your hand right up. All right, thank you so very much. You may put your hands down. I want everyone to look right here at me just a minute. Those of you that just raised your hand and said, I did it and I meant it. I believe you. I believe you really did. And the reason you did that is because the Holy Spirit of God spoke to you tonight. And you didn't resist it. You didn't try to put it off. Tonight, the Holy Spirit of God revealed to you, your name's not in that book. But I tell you, when you just asked God to forgive you of your sin and turned away from your sin and asked Jesus to come in your heart and save you, He wrote your name. In that book. I mean, right while you've been sitting right there since you prayed, he wrote your name in that book. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. That's a wonderful thing. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation. I have decided to follow Jesus. That's what you decided just a moment ago. I'm giving my life to Christ. He's come into my heart. And the very minute we stand, you ought, you ought not hesitate. If you raised your hand and said, I asked Jesus in my life, I did it in a minute. I hope you'll walk down one of these aisles and take one of these men by the hand and say, tonight, I asked Jesus into my heart. Will you do that? Well, Brother Bob, I'm a little bit afraid. You don't have to be afraid here. Now, if we were out in the football stadium, there might be somebody there that'd laugh at you. Nobody here's going to laugh at you. Everybody here's going to be happy for you. And we'll rejoice with you and probably will hug your neck before you get out of here. It's a wonderful thing. And it gives me great joy. Those of you that prayed and asked Jesus into your life, I take great pleasure in welcoming you into the family of God. And I hope you'll make your way down and tell one of these men, will you do it? I pray you will as we stand. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.